This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. I am delighted and proud to introduce him as Academy Award winner. And the Oscar goes to. And the Oscar goes to. The winner, it's a tie. And any little girl who's who's practicing their speech on the telly, you never know. Mom, I just want an Oscar. I am Katie Rich. I'm here with Richard Lawson. Hello. With David Canfield. Hello. And with Rebecca Ford. Hi. We are now in award season. There are awards being handed out. We tell you all year this is award season. And for once, we mean it. The Gotham Awards took place in New York this week. Uh, the New York Film Critics Circle will be voting on their winners very soon. The ceremonies will really start uh, flying from there. So we're going to talk about the Gotham Awards, um, who's ascendant, who might be even more ascendant once the critics start voting. There's events going on on both coasts all over the place for movies new and old. And there are some newer titles that we we're able to talk about in depth for once, like uh, The Color Purple and Wonka, and we're going to loop back a little bit to Saltburn. So let's start with the Gothams. Richard, you were there in person. I think you had a pretty great seat. You were sitting with some of the cast of The Gilded Age, which, like, you know, <laughs> the most important yeah. show of the moment as far as I'm concerned. Um, you've been to the Gothams a lot. Uh, what was it like this year? It was lively. I mean, I think that uh, it was probably the starriest Gothams I've been to. Maybe that was just a product of who won, you know, either nominated awards or tribute awards that I don't know how those are determined. Um, <laughs> but it was everyone from Leo to Greta to Julianne to Natalie to, you know, it was just like all those very people star- you're on first name basis with because they're so famous. Well, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, of course, I meant <laughs> Greta Van Susteren, <laughs> Natalie Morales. <laughs> Um, you know, I um, would I would pay to see her. <laughs> Leo Tipton. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I was at the Vanity Fair table, which was pretty centrally located because VF is sort of the media sponsor for these awards. Um, so I had a good, you know, view of, of everything. Um, and it was interesting. I mean, the Gothams, you know, do non-gendered acting categories. So you really only get two acting speeches unless as it happened the first year they did this, they were just were suddenly ties in both in both lead and supporting. Um, but no, this year it was just two. But I think that my biggest takeaway from the evening was um, Lily Gladstone won for Best Lead Actor, uh, not for Killers of the Flower Moon, for her other movie. 
And it did kind of feel like it was secretly a Flower Moon win. Um, they just couldn't say that because I think that those nominated um, categories are, well, no, because Gosling was nominated. I don't really know how the budget They didn't works. submit it. They didn't submit They didn't the submit it. Okay, thank you. Right. Thank you, David. Thank yeah, you for so, the reminder. Yes, they didn't submit Flower Moon. But anyway, she, she won for um, The Unknown Country. And her speech was very, like, rousingly received. And um, people leapt to their feet. And I just feel like... I saw a preview of an Oscar speech um, mm-hmm. in in her. That, that was my big takeaway: is that Lily Gladstone is very much a front runner in Best Actress. Mm-hmm. It seemed that way from afar as as well. And last year, I remember when Ki Hui Kwan won for Everything Everywhere All at Once. We had said similar things on this podcast, and that uh, bore out pretty well. And she does seem to be occupying a similar kind of space in the conversation. It it is a little strange that she won for a a different movie, especially given that because these categories are combined, that that race was really stacked with a lot of really strong performers. Um, But yeah, last year, uh, as I was reminded, my my great hope, Daniel Deadweiler, won that award. Um, But she wasn't present at the ceremony. Uh, She did get to present this year. And I, I think it does make an impact as the first show. When you are there, you give a great speech. She also gave a, gave a great speech for the Killers Tribute Award. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was it was a it was a big night for her, and uh, also for Charles Melton, which we can talk about. So these winners are voted on by juries. I'm looking at the nominations announcement. Those nominees are uh, made by juries. They kind of share who's on those lists and don't share specifically who votes on the winners. But we're assuming it's a pretty small group of people who are determining Lily Gladstone and the other winners in the category. Um, So should we just kind of explain why we feel like this is a harbinger of what might happen at the Oscars, even though it's a completely different group of people? I mean, with Gladstone, I just feel like there is obviously the, the matter that no Native American person has ever won an Oscar or I think and then if there are nominees, it's very few. Um, so I think there's that aspect. There's the fact that she's really good in the movie. And there's the fact that I think that if Flower Moon is going to win anything, maybe that's their best chance yep. at this point. And it's an interesting way to not push back against, but respond to the various controversies surrounding how Killers of the Flower Moon is framed, you know, despite working with um, members of the Osage Nation pretty extensively in the making of the film, a lot of uh, Native uh, people, activists, critics, etc., have kind of come out against the movie, I think, in recent weeks. And so if you say, okay, we hear you, but w- what about Lily Gladstone? She's really good, right? And we all, you know, can coalesce around that aspect of the film. I just think that's a very, like, you know, that's that's an interesting way uh, to to give that movie a big award while also still kind of tacitly or not acknowledging that the rest of the film uh, has some issues in the eyes of a lot of people. The yeah. the strongest public critique of the movie came from Devery Jacobs, the star of Reservation Dogs, in a, in a thread, tweet thread. And even in one of the tweets, she said, give Lily Gladstone the Oscar. So I think, mm-hmm. to your point, Richard, that is definitely where you can meet in the middle a little bit here on on pretty varying perspectives. Yeah, and I don't mean that to minimize her work. I mean, it, it's genuinely a great performance, and she stands toe-to-toe with yeah. other potential nominees. It's just, it just kind of helps, I guess, that, like, not only is she would she be a frontrunner anyway, but there's also this other issue surrounding the film that I think is giving that film a lot more attention maybe than it would otherwise have gotten. It's amazing how 
I feel like I've just forgotten that she won for a different movie because yeah, right, exactly. it just really feels like a pri- like the first prize for Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, but yeah, I think it's also similar with Charles Melton. It's like these two winners, even though the voters are not representative of the Academy, they're wi- they're winning the first award really of the season. They're taking the stage, they're giving the speech, and it helps sort of elevate them from the very crowded fields they're in. And I think for both of them, it's it's huge. You know, if it had been like Ryan Gosling or something, it wouldn't feel um, as much of a, like a big win. But for them to get this attention, you know, at this early point in the season, I think is really, really helpful to their campaigns. Yeah. I want to talk about Charles Melton in a moment. Uh, he was on our podcast just last week. Um, but watching Lily Gladstone, um, there was a clip from the set of Killers of the Flower Moon that went around last week. I don't remember if Apple posted it, but it was of the day that she wrapped on set. And it's her kind of standing there and speaking to the cast and crew um, about how grateful she was to make the movie. And Leonardo DiCaprio is standing right there next to her. They're um, standing in a field in one of their scenes together. Um, and he's just kind of like gazing at her and like shining all of his star power light on her. And then at the Gotham's, he was there as well. And there's a video that we, you know, we post on our Instagram of them on the red carpet together. And he's doing the exact same thing. He's like there as a giant movie star, but basically saying with all of his body language, look at her instead. And I think that's incredibly powerful. And I just feel like that's a, a power of her campaign that's really coming into focus now that they're both able to be back out there together. I thought about that with with Charles Melton, too, because Mm. he's at the show as the only acting nominee from the movie. It's only other nominee was for screenplay. But at that table, you had Julianne Moore and Natalie Portman and Todd Haynes, who were absolutely ecstatic and and very clearly there for him Mm -hmm. when he won. And that's really powerful because in his case, the timing could not have been more perfect. I mean, on my end, and yes, I have a particular silo, the buzz around the movie and people talking to me about the movie Mm -hmm. is pretty deafening right now. It is hitting Netflix this week. And he is someone who everybody comes out of that movie and is like, holy shit, Charles Melton. I mean, truly, there are tweets that say, holy shit, Charles Melton. And But I, I think that there's a corner of the industry, a pretty big corner of the industry, who is like, who? Or particularly in the Academy adjacent side of the industry, like, who are we talking about here in a movie with Julianne Moore and Natalie Portman? And seeing them all sort of crowd around him and truly, I mean, the excitement for him was very palpable uh, among those actors. Uh, it, it, it sends a signal that he is somebody to really consider in this race and to pay attention to. And, and it is because of that that support group, I think, that you see around him. Yeah, when when he won, uh, we were right next to the May December table, and um, Julianne in particular like leapt to her feet and like let out a yip and like gave him a huge hug and was like beaming throughout his speech and like I, yeah, th- I think that you know last year at the Gotham's Kiwi Kwan won supporting actor and you know he was has a very different narrative than Charles Melton does certainly, but I'm just wondering a little bit if awards giving bodies including the Academy have maybe become a little addicted in just a short time to, like, that sort of surprising underdog narrative, you know, Um, with big star backing. I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis ultimately did get an Oscar for her troubles, but, like, (laughs) she was largely responsible, I think, her lending her star power, you know, shining her her star power toward other people for a lot of Everything Everywhere's wins. That was the whole phase one campaign on her, and it was for the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I hope they paid her, you know, handsomely for that. <laughs> <work>. <laughs> She's paying googly eyes. 
Yeah, yeah. She and Francis Fisher met, are meeting in some underground bunker this year to decide where to throw their weight. Um, but yeah, I think that the Melton's story is interesting. I think that movie, uh, you know, as compared to Everything Everywhere, which was a big sort of populist hit, May December is going to have a tougher time ingratiating itself to people. But the Melton narrative, despite that, is still pretty potent. And um, this was, like you said, Katie, like very well, or maybe David said it, sorry, very well timed um, to push that movie firmly now into the awards conversation. Because as of like a week ago, I was like, I don't know if that's going to get any nominations. And now it feels like, no, it's definitely in that in that conversation. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, the Todd Haynes track record makes you have reason to be skeptical. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. He really, um, you know, you say underdog, and I think he comes in with that because people are like, Riverdale, that guy, you know? And, <laughs> and like, even even when, before we saw it in Cannes, I think it was like, oh, this is sort of random. And then you see this performance, and because your expectations maybe are a little lower, he really, really exceeds them. And, and he's so incredibly talented opposite these two really talented actresses that I think that helps him. And and he's been doing some really great interviews, including with David. And and I think he's really, yeah, shaping up to be a really strong campaign. It is fast. So I, I don't think Charles Melton's character in May December is a Ken, exactly. But I do think he is in conversation with Ken and with Mark Ruffalo's character in Poor Things, these three strong supporting actor contenders whose characters exist entirely in relation to the women that the movies are actually about. I, that's got to be incredibly rare in that category. And of course, Robert Downey Jr., that's not his character at all, and he's probably going to win anyway. But mm-hmm. that's an interesting trend to keep an eye on. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it also helps that, um, you know, I rewatched May, December um, over the Thanksgiving break. And man, is that movie good. Yeah. Better than mm-hmm. I even remembered from from seeing it in May. Um, and he just, his character and that performance, like, it provides the crucial, like, emotional grounding that you're kind of, that I think certain viewers are searching for in that movie, which is otherwise kind of coy and elusive and strange and like, you know, shifty and and the two lead, you know, actors are are playing characters who are kind of inscrutable in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Melton shows up and has a couple of really big scenes where that's when it's just very accessible all of a sudden. That movie's kind of core emotion. And that you know, that goes a long way, I think, um, in addition to the narrative of the Riverdale guy. <laughs> You come to the New Yorker Radio Hour for conversations that go deeper with people you really want to hear from, whether it's Bruce Springsteen or Questlove or Olivia Rodrigo, Liz Cheney, or the godfather of artificial intelligence, Jeffrey Hinton, or some of my extraordinarily well-informed colleagues at The New Yorker. So join us every week on The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. So elsewhere at the Gothams, I feel like we should say that Anatomy of a Fall won two awards. It won Best International Feature and Best Screenplay. And I said earlier I didn't know who the juries were for the winners. In the press release, it says who the juries were. So just sorry, Gothams. <laughs> it's very clear. <laughs> um, and that does feel pretty significant, though. That's two different groups of juries that picked it for these two pretty big awards. Um, what was what was that crew like at the awards, Richard? I mean, visible, for sure. You know, I, I think that, again, that movie... The, the nation of France took a gamble in in putting up uh, the taste of things for international feature for, with the Oscars. I think the thinking was anatomy is going to do well in other categories, so we can kind of double our our odds. And I think that the Gotham certainly confirmed that. 
Um, there was a lot of energy in the room for that movie when when it won its awards. And, you know, I think that there was maybe a risk. We were talking for weeks about how that movie had this advantage because it could, you know, the actors could promote it and it they could do Q&As and all that stuff. But I think there was also a risk of people getting a little fatigued and really ready for the the other stuff that were, that were banned, you know, from promotion by the strikes. Now all attention has turned to them. So I think that it's good that Anatomy reasserted itself and said, we're still here, we're still part of this. And yeah, I, I do predict a lot of, you know, big things to come for that movie. The international uh, feature race was... It's a pretty notable win just because it had movies like Poor Things and All of Us Strangers in addition to that Mm -hmm. in the zone of interest. So it was a really competitive category. Um, And a couple of years ago, when The Lost Daughter won a lot of different categories at the Gothams, it kind of similarly signaled that it it could be a player in a few different races. So um, it's always a good sign, even if it is small juries and doesn't say that much. It does say something. I do want to say one more thing about the Gothams before we move on. That um, a small light, the show that I talked about, and then didn't, didn't go anywhere at the Emmys. Won a Gotham Award we did it, for Katie. breakthrough series. I know I'm, it's so good. I, I thought of you, and I, saw I want that. people to watch it finally. Um, but also, Beef won two awards as well on television, which doesn't come as a big surprise. Um, it's still going to go win some Emmys, I guess. It hasn't been able to win uh, anything yet. I mean, it, this is the first time. No. I literally was sitting there for a second being like, yeah, it's this Emmys, right? It got nominated. It's just, I'll get my head around well, that at some point. I, I know. I don't think Past Lives winning Best Feature was a surprise um, among no. its competition, but it does feel like a good moment for the film, you know, because we've talked about how they have this sort of long road after being a Sundance premiere, and that's not always the easiest. And I think it it does help its momentum um, as it continues. I don't know how you guys feel, but I feel like it's a good boost for it. It's it's a reminder that it hasn't been forgotten, which I think is the big, yeah. the only question mark with that movie is, did it fade away? And I think the answer is no. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of similar to Anatomy of a Fall, right? Where it had the whole lane to itself, but now it's reasserting itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we'll have the um, New York Film Critics Circle, those awards will be announced as they're voted on, on on Thursday. So the day that people are listening to this, if they are doing their due diligence and listening right when this podcast <laughs> gets posted, which I hope you all are. Um, you know, and I think that Anatomy and uh, Past Lives are likely to be represented in that, you know, in those awards in some capacity. Maybe I'm wrong, but... Um, Uh, just taking the temperature of my fellow members at the Gothams and at screenings and stuff like that. Past Lives is certainly not forgotten in in that contingent at all. Yeah, that leads me well into what I wanted to talk talk about next. I mean, Richard, you can't reveal in advance the results of a vote that hasn't happened yet or, you know, maybe not to (laughs) your hand too much, but you will be voting with the New York Film Critics Circle. Um, Different critics groups vote in different ways, you guys, and I think the Los Angeles critics kind of get together in a room and you know, maybe do less yelling back and forth than we like to imagine. Um, the LAFCA vote will be on December 10th. Critics' Choice is on December 13th. That's all just emailed ballots, kind of a, you know, rough tally wins. Um, but do you, do you kind of have a sense, Richard, with you voting or anybody, of what other titles might uh, be primed to get a really big bump as these Critics' Awards start coming in in the next few weeks? Well, I mean, the New York Critics as evidenced by wins for the Irishman, like they're, they're big on Scorsese, you know? So I expect to see that movie uh, well represented during the vote, which is all done silently. You just write things on little pieces of paper and then the votes are read out loud, but not your name is not attached to them. So it is kind of anonymous. You make it sound um, like you'd be like a bunch of monks picking a new yeah. <laughs> pope or something. 
Yeah, well, yeah, then white smoke comes out of the <laughs> top of Lincoln Center. and we, you know, Only we if Charles new... Melton's name is read aloud. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> um, so I, I think the Scorsese, I think, you know, I'll be curious to see how the movies that screened kind of late do, like uh, The Iron Claw and Color Purple um, and a couple other titles that, like, I haven't had the opportunity to talk to fellow members about how they, you know, what they thought of those movies. Um, so I'm curious about that. But, you know, I, I think... We won't, I mean, I won't really have any genuine sense of how things are going until we're doing it because I have stormed in there in the past and been like, well, it's a sure thing. Carrie Coon's winning for the nest because I talked to three members who also were voting for her. And then it was like, we were the three votes for Carrie Coon. You know, like, like no, I'm, I'm sure there were more. I just, I don't remember, but um, I'm just using that as a vague example. But like, you know, I, I think that I have my ideas, but the, the group is pretty large at this point and it's also pretty varied in terms of age and experience and, you know, approach to both the awards and to just film in general. So I'm kind of uh, unable each year to take an accurate temperature. Um, so I will be finding out along with everyone else uh, where where the group sits uh, on Thursday. I'm I'm really curious to see Best Actress specifically. New York obviously kicks off a bunch of critics' awards from various places. Um, and last year, Kate Blanchett kind of ran the table along those lines, and it, that wasn't a huge surprise. Not to say there weren't a lot of great performances, but it was just sort of an obvious frontrunner for Critics Awards. Um, but this year, it feels like there are a lot of really, really strong candidates. We're talking about Lily Gladstone and Sandra Huller. There's, of course, Emma Stone, who I feel like is going to pick up a few. Carrie Mulligan, I'm sure, will get a lot of support. And given how strong that category is this year, it could make an impact. Um, even as we saw last year, somebody like Michelle Yeoh on the campaign trail can also be powerful. I'm personally curious about how poor things is going to fare with the New York critics and then all later on with the larger groups. Yeah. Because it's it's a weird and arty movie from Yorgos Lanthimos, who is a director a lot of critics really love. But it's also kind of like a fable. Like, it's a very simple story. Like, there's a... Um, it's not that it's not thematically rich, but it's like less thorny than, say, May, December. Um, and I really wonder how that will land as critics kind of, you know, want to single it out or if it will just kind of fall more in the middle than we might have expected a month ago. I, I have an intuition that like that movie is really well liked, but I, I think Stone being kind of the the leader of that pack. I mean, I think Ruffalo and even Defoe are going to get, you know, lots of attention, too. But like. I think that one thing hindering it is people are like, she just won, you know, she mm -hmm. just had her whole run. And it was like, that was seven years ago. You know, it wasn't <laughs> like that recently. But I think in the mind, it's like, there's more excitement coalescing around first time nominees or first time winners. Um, and so while Emma Stone is giving one of the performances of the year, as I wrote about in our best performances uh, list mm. that people can read, I think on the site now, um, you know, she's incredible in it and uh, will certainly get lots of love and attention for it. I would assume an Oscar nomination is in the offing. But in terms of winning things, uh, I think that she might just kind of read a little too, like she, her her last win was just too recent. A few films that, that I love that I'm not sure about for different reasons is Oscar contenders um, that are kind of in that upper critical tier are Zone of Interest and All of Us Strangers. So those are two that I'm watching to see if they can pick up any momentum. It feels like Zone, Zone of Interest has to do something with the critics groups to like yeah. continue on at all. So I, I agree. I think that's a deal, that's sort of a deal breaker if it doesn't in the next couple of weeks. But that's also when I feel like you could be like, oh, best picture from New York Film Critics Circle, Zone of Interest. Yep. Like no, that, that's that, totally exactly. possible. Ex exactly. It could yeah. go in either direction. <laughs> 
Yeah, or like Sandra Huller wins supporting actress for that as a, you know, and doesn't win best actress for Anatomy of a Fall. Like it's, it could really go in a lot of different directions. Yeah. At the Oscars, I could see Zone of Interest um, getting Best Picture nomination and Best Director, and that's it. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's a, a very possible outcome. I could even just see Best Director. Yeah. Which never happens, but yeah. could. I should also say for people watching their uh, awards calendar, the National Board of View nominations are December 6th. So that's kind of coming in between the major critics groups, and we'll talk about that next week. Well, Richard, you were talking about how the Barbie crew was at the Gotham Awards, uh, largely thanks to these tribute awards, which are a little puzzling, but I think up to the star power, as we discussed. Um, and then they had a big event in New York also the day after the Gothams. Um, and they're, but they're not the only ones kind of hustling all over town this week, right? No, I've gotten so many invites to old school Peggy Siegel-esque luncheons <laughs> for movies. I have not had an invite like that in years, not just because of the pandemic. Um, like there's an Oppenheimer luncheon and at Lincoln Center and something, you know, other things happening. And um, it really feels like they had to take a couple of weeks to get all the scheduling figured out. And now it is fully off to the races. I was talking to an awards publicist from Netflix at the Gotham's and he seemed exhausted <laughs> uh, <laughs> because he's like, yeah, it's just everything had to happen like the last two days. And now here we are. And there, luckily these events like the Gotham's or things in LA where all the talent is going to be in town anyway. So why don't we just, you know, schedule 18 different lunches? Yeah. What's it like in LA? Is it chaos? Same, same thing. Yeah. Same thing. A lot of evening events, like, all of us strangers is having an event like in my neighborhood in East LA. And I'm like, this is weird. Like it, it's, it's, all, it's all over town. Get out of it's, my town. I know. This is, this is my non-awards neighborhood. Get out of here. But yeah, Barbie's having an, a big event, I think. I mean, there's just been a ton of, of events in the next, I think before the holidays, they're just cramming them in as much as possible. Yeah. Whole casts coming through because mm-hmm. it was strange. All of strangers. That's obviously going to be a big deal for that movie. Uh, and they're all in town next weekend. This weekend you'll have, Margot, Greta, Ryan Gosling, and America Ferreira are uh, taking part in a big Barbie reception. And yeah, there's it's every everything and everywhere right now. It's just crazy. <laughs> well, because it, it feels early because Thanksgiving just happened. But if you look at the calendar, like you've got next week, the week of December 4th, the week of December 11th, then the week after that, like my kid's school is done for Christmas halfway through that week. Like you've really only got two more weeks after this to really pound the pavement because then once you get back, it's all the award shows and uh, the time is really nigh. You know what a lot of people have been, a lot of strategists have been bringing up to me as suddenly very important are our Golden Globe nominations, yeah. which is maybe not surprising, <laughs> but I keep hearing about that, you know, more than guilds even. It's just like suddenly there is a real investment in, in getting people out there to get them on a national TV show in a month. Uh, so it's also just the fact that the strike ended when it did and the Golden Globes suddenly regained this prominence because they're going to be airing on CBS, you know, regardless of what you think about the the merit of the awards or not, um, that does matter a great deal. And so that's a big reason, I think, for the compressed nature of this as well is a lot of these big nominations are coming up quickly and, and that determines who goes in those rooms who is talking to each other and who is kind of staying in the conversation. Because for a lot of these movies, um, they are in a a gray area still, and and that gets clarified rather quickly. 
I say this with great compassion for both publicists and talent who have to promote, but it is kind of fun watching them sweat because no one's a front runner right now. And they're all just like clawed, scrambling. Like, it's like kind of great. Like, you know, usually by this time, like there is some sense of like, okay, those two, those people are in first, second position. And then three, four, five, they're just kind of, you know, everyone's fighting that out. But like this year, I don't feel that way at all about really any category beyond like maybe Downey Jr. and supporting, you know? Um, yeah. It's just, it, it's kind of fun that because there's so much uncertainty that everyone is really like, doing their their most to be seen and uh i don't know maybe we should kind of compress this timeline every year because <laughs> i know it's exhausting for people but like it's fun to watch well isn't that kind of what we talked about when the strike ended like it really felt like things were finally properly kicking off in november and perhaps that would be a more sane way to operate i don't know what we do with ourselves for three months but we could probably figure it out yeah also no one can pretend that they don't care they there's yeah. no time for that you know, right, you exactly. want, yeah. And it's it's nice to see that. It's nice for everyone to kind of be on the same level in terms of participating. Yeah, no one's striking any cool, like, oh, awards? Huh, I didn't even realize it was that yeah. season. No I'll, one is I'll doing do, that. I'll do, I'll do one cover in <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, everyone's just hitting the ground. And they can, you know, and look, they're just supporting the the film. They're not advocating for themselves, of course. Of course but like, not. Yeah, there's a little, there's a hunger. There's a hunger in the air. <laughs> I like it. Well, David, in your interview with Annette Benning that ran this week, you kind of asked her point blank, like how she feels about the thought of winning an Oscar, which I love. I don't think I could do it. I think I would check it out answering <laughs> that question. And she had what like, like probably isn't the full honest answer. You know, I, I don't know if anyone's ever fully honest about how much they want to win an award. But I thought she was very nicely frank about being like, yeah, of course I've thought about it. Like I've been nominated a bunch of times. Uh, I was impressed by her. Yes, that 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 moment only came about because it, it had been a nice conversation. I felt comfortable asking it, but I, I did appreciate her answer, and and there was a a smile that kind of crept through, um, just at the thought of it. Yeah, people care, uh, and Annette Benning is someone we've talked about on this podcast who has been close a number of times, may be close again, and um, it's I would I would imagine it's it's a memory of a feeling like you're right there and then it doesn't happen yeah i also think in this era of unceremonious like oh now that movie's on netflix and now it's on streaming you know whatever like that kind of awards tension actually will bring eyes to the movie itself you know Mm -hmm. and and i think that people are really keenly aware of that because things feel like they get lost you know um with like limited releases in a couple major cities across the country and then otherwise it's on streaming with not much fanfare and naya is one of those movies i think even if like putting aside like a personal wish for like, you know, that kind of recognition, um, there's got to be an awareness that like, that's a really good way to advertise the movie. And that's really crucial now. And especially when like marketing budgets are not what they used to be. Yeah, I think there, there is absolutely. Um, well, another cast that's been all over the place and it's for a newer movie is The Color Purple, which we talked about a little bit last week where kind of some of the social sentiment was starting to come out and Danielle Brooks was really emerging as a real standout. Um, but I do feel like the momentum behind it keeps growing, um, particularly as the Christmas window arrives and it feels like it could really make a lot of money. Um, I, Richard, you've been able to see it. Um, do you do you kind of get the same sense that it's the tide is rising there? Yeah, it feels, I mean eventful in, in, in certain crucial ways. I think Daniel Brooks is definitely leading that, that charge. I mean, you know, she has that the big like Hell No song, which is like kind of the most rousing musical number in the first half third of the movie. It's a fun character. I mean, obviously sad things eventually do happen to that character, but like it's just a big 
loud sort of vibrant uh role and and also performance that daniel brooks has already honed on stage and yeah i think there's enough artistry and uh, like careful intent uh in in the movie to to make it stand out it does not feel like some sort of also ran at all um i think obviously that movie is being theatrically released and does have i think some box office potential um and if it's a hit I think that pushes it way ahead of a lot of other movies that um, are currently sort of better positioned. But I I think that that positioning is pretty tenuous. If Color Purple connects with audiences, um, I think it's really off to the races for that movie. I do feel like it's going to be a hit, but how many times have we thought a musical is going to be a hit and then Mm. been very severely burned by our prediction? So... I'm I'm worried about that, but I, you know, I, I did a screening in LA. I was talking to our colleague, Chris Murphy, who moderated one in New York and the crowds are just like yeah. really, really energetic about this. And almost, you know, there's, there's people dressing up in purple and like, you see a lot of um, energy for it. So yeah, I, I, I do think it's going to be a hit and I agree, Richard, it's going to, it'll really, really help its chances. To the Daniel Brooks point, you know, even though West Side Story didn't hit um, with box office, there's a similar character narrative, character arc between Anita and West Side Story and Sophia here because it's a fun character, it's a big character, and then it it gets to be a deeper, richer performance in the film's last act. And it feels like it could be a similar sort of sweep for her, honestly, if the movie connects at that level because it's got all of those ingredients. The character is so well-known and iconic and um, it just kind of feels like everything's falling into place there maybe a little bit. Yeah. And she has such an amazing connection to that character having played it on, on Mm -hmm. stage as well. I mean, she talks about it being the first show she ever saw on Broadway. Like she really has the narrative uh, that goes along with that, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think um, Daniel Brooks is a little bit better known on screen than Ariana DeBose was before West Side Story. But, you know, just both of them as like Broadway veterans kind of taking a big leap into film like the narratives track very nicely. Yep. I think we can't underestimate um, the fact that Daniel Brooks was pretty ubiquitous in a lot of homes for a number of years on Orange is the New Black, Mm -hmm. you know, like so good and so good on it and such an interesting, ultimately kind of tragic character. Um, and a great one of the standout performances on that very, very popular show. And um, I, I think that that goes a long way uh, towards your more casual Academy voter being like, oh, right, her tasty from Orange is the Black. She's great. You know, yep. let me vote for her. I've been wondering about Fantasia Barino as I think about this movie being Ascendant and look at the best actress race and how insanely crowded it is. But it does, you know, as we talk about this, it seems very possible she could come in and bump out one of the names that we've been talking about for so many months. They need to figure out a way for her to perform. I'm here at some sort of pre-nominations mm, thing, yeah. like in a like I don't know what that would be, but like just to, to get people to remember how powerful that moment is in the movie as it was on stage, uh, and how it feels like that song was written for her. You know, um, that would be big for her because she is good, but you know because of the nature of the character, it's a little more recessive. You know, it's not as like showy and and out there until it is at the very end, but. Um, She's she's really good, you know, and she's been doing this role in various forms for a long time. So uh, I hope that she doesn't get lost in the shuffle. It feels like a matter of just how that category is going to shake out. There are truly so many possibilities. Um, and she's definitely one of them. But she's not a slam dunk for the reasons Richard just mentioned. Um, 
one thing I really like about her performance is even given the nature of the character, it's a, it's a really subtle, almost a really intricate uh, approach to her that I, I found really moving, but it is not huge. It is not, um, it does not take up the screen the way Daniel Brooks or Taraji P. Henson does. And that can be a, an issue in a category where there are a lot of performances that do that uh, this year. Richard, do you remember in um, the Les Mis campaign when they did a luncheon um, and Hugh Jackman and Anne Hathaway like sang, st- stood up in the middle of the, the room and sang songs from Les Mis? <gasps> This happened. Yeah, I, yeah. I, <laughs> I I planned that, organized it. Um, it's your greatest. <laughs> paid triumph. for them to sing with my own money. Um, yeah, I think that kind of thing. You know, they just need to get the color purple people out on the road. You know, and I don't know what Barino's level of um, like. I was watching something they did. I think at the Academy in L.A. Uh, like a post screening Q and A, and she said that she really had to be coaxed several times to even agree to do the mm-hmm. movie. So I don't know what that was. I don't know what w- what her hesitancy was. I mean, maybe it was just like I I did it so long ago. I don't really want to revisit that, which I totally understand. It's tough material, um, but I just wonder what her level of interest in campaigning is. But if they get that cast out and they're singing at things and they're you know shaking hands, kissing babies, all that, I think that charm offensive because the people in the cast have a lot of charm, including Coleman Domingo, and uh, like. Yeah, I think that, that that would be kind of an unstoppable force in some ways. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, host of Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. This week, with the help of Dan Adler and Olivia Nuzzi, we're going inside the media circus swirling around Donald Trump's criminal trial. People want coverage of Donald Trump. There are sort of shades of 2015, 2016. I found it to be a a total break from the reaction to a lot of Trump coverage in the last two years. Join me, Brian Stelter, on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Well, speaking of musicals and what we get our hopes up for, um, Wonka is another musical that's right on the horizon. <laughs> um, I think mm-hmm. it. there are social reactions out there. The review embargo has not lifted. We don't want to, like, over-discuss uh, it, but... I'm when or overhype uh, it. Or over, well, listen, <laughs> I haven't seen I, it. I've been shamelessly hyping Wonka for months. I'm not going to apologize for that, but uh, you know, now that I've actually seen it, I could maybe <laughs> be more realistic. But yeah, when that screener came out for critics' consideration, uh, it was a it was an event amongst us over Thanksgiving weekend. Um, <laughs> but I had such a great time with it, and I'm so excited about it. I hope I feel like it's tailor made to get a bazillion Golden Globe nominations, uh, which will come out a couple days before it actually opens in theaters. Um, but you know, Richard, you were not on the Wonka hype train to the extent that I was. And you also liked it. So back me up here. I stand firmly corrected. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I just hadn't, I, I knew it intellectually that, oh, it's the Paddington too. Got like, you know, I knew that there was that connection, but I didn't, I think maybe it was just the trailer wasn't great, but. Um, when well, the trailer I, had no songs in it, which is, you know, a mistake. And the songs are lovely. I mean, they're very simple, but like I got teary at one of them and, and I actually cried three times in the movie <laughs> while watching the movie. Um, it's good. I think Chalamet's great. I was saying to someone who also had seen it, um, kind of like Anne Hathaway, speaking of Les Mis, like sometimes you just have to let the theater kid lead. You just have to, you have to let it out. You know, you can do yep. the dark, gritty, minimalist acting. That's great. All well and good. Do Dune, do, you know, uh, Beautiful Boy, whatever. But Timothy Chalamet is a theater kid, and Wonka <laughs> lets him be that in very charming fashion. And um, it's fun to watch him sort of un unloosed like that. 
I also I went in with extremely low expectations after that trailer, and there it opens with the scene of him like standing on a boat, and I was like, nope. And then literally five, <laughs> but then literally five seconds later, he starts singing and it moves to another location, and I was like, oh yes, this is wonderful. Like it wins you over so fast in that first number that I was like, I see what I like. I I you're right. You just have to embrace where we're going with this, and it's very very charming. Um, I, I'm not quite as hot on it as you two. I think, I think people should still go in with reasonable expectations. Um, but it, it is very, it's just a really enjoyable watch. Um, yeah, I thought Timothy Chalamet acquitted himself so well and has his like lanky body doing all those dance moves just has such a specific power. But also the supporting cast, who is some names that you recognize, Sally Hawkins is in there, Olivia Coleman is in there, but also people who like, I think if you watch a lot of British TV, you know, but I did not, um, who were just like killing it in scene after scene. There's so many like funny, specific people who like a lot of them get their own little subplots, which are very charming. Um, it feels very rich and like well lived in, which I think the Paddington movies had a lot of going for them as well. Um, It really added to the experience for me. I think that one thing that's very hard to do in adapting Roald Dahl, I mean, this is not literally an adaptation of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. It's, you know, it's 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 a prequel. It's pretty light in its IP, I think. You don't have to, like, pay attention to details there. But it does capture this sort of, like, shaggy, kind of weird, slightly dark, menacing quality of the best Roald Dahl stuff, you know, um, in a way that the, the Zemeckis witches certainly did not. Um, and just this movie, like, it's very much a, a movie for children, which is all well and good. But it has these little pricklier dimensions that I think distinguish it from a lot of um, comparable stuff from, let's say, other studios that run the world um i'm saying disney it does not feel like a disney movie um in in a way that i found really appealing so well it's been overhyped for me so well sorry david we can't we can't sit, hide our light under a bushel we have to share our enthusiasm for no Wicca. you do even uh, though i will now look out for timothy chalamet on a boat uh, to rebecca's warning i think it's like literally the opening shot of the movie it is, it is and i was like i'm not i'm not on on board and then i was like oh i am on board so it, you'll change quickly well there might be time to talk about it later on once david has gotten a look at it but uh you know the, the i think i talked about this last week the christmas box office is stressing me out i really hope people don't just like end the on a bummer note but if Wonka and the Color Purple can both make money and prove that people like musicals I will be so thrilled that does it for today's show we'll be back next week find us at Vanity Fair on social media at VF Awards Insider I am on social media at Katie Rich and Richard Rylaws and David David Canfield 97 and Rebecca Becca M. Ford our editor and producer is Brett Fuchs, and this week's award for the thing that Bart Freundlich heard all the time while his wife Julianne Moore was on the set of May December goes to David Canfield. Holy shit, Charles Melton. I'm Bobby Finger. And I'm Lindsay Weber. Do you ever see a new face or name on your news feeds and say, who the heck is that? Our podcast, Who Weekly, is everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. Think of us as your cheat code to People Magazine, your glossary for Hollywood, a shortcut to understanding pop culture at large. For the past eight years, Who Weekly has been telling listeners everything they need to know about the celebrities they don't. The New Yorker says we spelunk deep into the demimonde with convivial delight. That's a direct quote. Mostly, we're going to explain to you Irish star Barry Keoghan's sudden rise to fame and relationship with a not-so-under-the-radar pop princess named Sabrina. The fake wedding Real Housewives star Cynthia Bailey had to promote a limo rental company. 
and why all the Gen Zers you know are talking about a guy named Benson Boone. Each episode goes deep into the biggest celebrity stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we answer the most burning celebrity queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. From PRX.